Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. We're looking at verse 17 this afternoon. Please join with me in prayer. Holy Lord, we bow before Thee. Lord, we thank Thee for the opportunity that we have had thus far to be in Thy presence together. For the ability to sing Thy praises, O God. To hear Thy holy word read. Lord, that only portion of our service which is infallible entirely. Lord, we now come to the preaching of thy word. Lord, help me, thy servant, to exposit thy word. Lord, grant to me a coal from off the altar that may purify my lips, that I might speak forth thy glories and thy praises according to thy word. Lord, that we might see thee, O Jesus, high and lifted up. We might be drawn Closer to thee, Holy Spirit, please bring us closer to Jesus, our Lord. Triune God, be glorified, be magnified. Help us to hear, O God, thy word. Apply it to our hearts. Give us rich application. God, that we might be thy people. Known to all by our love for thee and one another. Thou wouldst equip us by the means of grace. Keep us now, O Lord, free from distraction, that the enemy might not seal that which thou speakest to us from our hearts. Lord, we love thee, we praise thee, in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 8 preparing the sermon on our exposition on Mark when these recent events happened felt it good that we just preached the gospel mm. Romans 8 and verse 17 we'll actually pick it up in verse 13 for if ye live after the flesh ye shall die writes the apostle Paul but if ye through the Spirit do mortify or put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Dear congregation, ideas have consequences. Doctrines have consequences. What is being taught from pulpits has consequences. What is being taught in our seminaries has consequences. In our Sunday school, we are going through Machen's book, Christianity and Liberalism. Why is it relevant? How is it helpful? Because what we are seeing around us is occurring because that stuff is still being taught in our seminaries. It's still being taught in our seminaries. Critical race theory, gender theory, mythology of the scriptures is still being taught. False doctrine is not something that is benign, something that is safe and harmless, that doesn't affect the church, that doesn't affect the people in the church and around the church. It's not something that does not affect society. False doctrine is dangerous. Mm. 
The Bible describes it as a cancer, a canker, a sore, a rot that destroys the truth in its clearest presentations. We live in perilous times, do we not? Even locally, last night, not one who's big on talking about current events and preaching. But how could we not when we see the clear connection between liberalism and what is going on in our city as it's ransacked by wicked men and women? It's destroyed all over the nation. And where is this coming from? We have Al Mohler, Albert Mohler, the president of one of the biggest, if not the biggest, Baptist conventions, the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, allowing critical race theory to be taught, who sought to be some bastion of Calvinistic Southern Baptists, allowing critical race theory to be taught, allowing people, professors. I was just watching an interview recently of a professor that was forced to leave because he spoke out against another professor who happened to be a minority who's teaching heresy. He's teaching that the Bible is made up of different mythology. He spoke out against it. And they said, you're just being racist. And he was forced to leave. This is all connected. It's all connected. Ideas have consequences. Doctrine has consequences for real life, especially as Reformed experiential Christians who pride ourselves on that. Pure doctrine leads to good practices. Bad doctrine leads to foul practices. How have we come to this? Where every major city in our country right now is being looted and burned down. And civic civil war raging, it seems. How do we get to this place? Well... I think a large part of it, if not almost all of it, is due to the evangelical church and the reformed churches who have abandoned the gospel. They've allowed the infiltration of liberalism, opened their doors wide, and it has saturated their minds that they can't see through it any longer. And we have men excusing this. What was it? John Piper's son, Barnabas Piper, this morning tweeting that now, oh, white people, he addresses, white people. Now you know what black people are feeling. If you are vexed by what is going on in our country, now you feel it. What they go through every day. What kind of nonsense is this? Coming from our pulpits, coming from our evangelical leaders. It's the same liberalism that Machen dealt with. So if you think it's just about opinions and doctrine, etc., drive down Scottsdale Road and tell me that doctrine doesn't affect practice. They have abandoned the gospel or compromised with the gospel. They've abandoned the glorious, victorious gospel of Jesus Christ that brings unity for something that's divisive, for social progress, For empathy for the minority and the oppressed. How is this in line with the scriptures? It's not. This is why it's dangerous. So, our sermon today is titled, Joint Heirs with Christ, Our Uniting Bond. Our Uniting Bond. If the uniting of the gospel of Christ had been steadfastly held to and proclaimed by these evangelical and reformed churches, we would not see what we are seeing right now in this country. Period. It's not an opinion. It's not up for debate. All of the reformed countries throughout history that have held steadfastly to the doctrines, sure, they've had problems. People are wicked. Sure, they've had uprisings and revolts. People are wicked. But not to the degree we're seeing now, where every man does what is right in his own eyes. Because there is no unity. There is no foundation. So how do we have unity again? How shall we bring peace? What shall bring unity? Trying to understand where critical race theory comes from and give it a hearing? No! That will not bring unity and peace. The gospel of Jesus Christ alone can bring peace and unity. There is no slave or free 
There is no barbarian or Scythian or Jew any longer in Christ. If we hold steadfastly to the preaching of the gospel and see revival break out, then you will see peace and unity that we have not seen in hundreds of years. That alone can bring peace and unity. Just a reminder, what is this gospel? Turn a couple pages to the left in Romans 3. Romans chapter 3. Again, chapter 2 and into chapter 3 is all about the division that exists between the Jew and the Gentile. And the Jew looking down upon the Gentile saying, how can you steal and rob and do all these things? And Paul says, who are you that condemns another when you do the same things? So there's this division, this race division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And here's where he goes with it. Starting in verse 21 of chapter 3, Romans. Paul writes, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Why? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. also. Seeing it is one God, which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision by faith. Could it be any clearer? Could it be any more clear? What unites people? No, it couldn't. It's that we are all wicked sinners, dead in sins and transgressions on our own. We are all rebels against God who do not seek him, who want nothing to do with him. And by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, people are united to him by grace, through faith, regardless of what color they are, regardless of what nation they come from, regardless of what class they stand in. That is our unity. That is our unity. I've had many discussions with many of my close friends here throughout the years, and we've, we've marveled at God's grace. We've said we would have nothing in common and do have nothing in common outside of the one thing, Jesus Christ, yet we could not have better, closer, more intimate friendships. That is what binds us. That is what unites us. All people in Christ. So then we have this nonsense, this filth dumping out of our conservative seminaries. That's why it's important. It's not just a matter of like my opinion versus their opinion. This affects businesses as they are burnt to the ground and looted. Because the church crumbles before it rather than standing boldly. And not just denouncing it, but preaching the gospel. The only thing that can quell the flames, quench the flames. Paul, what was he doing when he was Saul? Little. Persecuting the church. Dragging men, women, and children out to kill them and imprison them. Did somebody try to understand where he was coming from? No. Jesus appeared to him on the road and blinded him. And scales fell off his eyes when the gospel was preached. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Jesus said. Is it not hard to kick against the pricks? Indeed it is. And Christ's grace is irresistible. So let us preach that Christ. And people will be drawn irresistibly to him. And then we will have true unity. Four points in our text. 
which specifically is Romans 8, 17, the 17th verse of chapter 8. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Four points. First, the ground of our heirship. Our heirship. The ground. Secondly, the universality of our heirship. The universality of our heirship. Third, the inheritance of our heirship. And four, the partnership of our heirship. First, the ground of our heirship. What is the ground whereby we are heirs? He says, if children, then heirs. Let's notice the development of the argument even in this verse. It does not follow. Us being heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ does not follow from just simply being created. All creatures are not heirs of God. The angels be not heirs of God, do they? They are not heirs. The unsaved are not heirs. Simply being created does not make one an heir with God, of God through Christ. It is not written, if creatures, then heirs, but if children, then heirs. Our union with Christ cannot be found in simply being created or even in natural descent, meaning we belong to a certain nation or tribe or people group. Indeed, it's quite the opposite. Remember, the scriptures do not say, if children of Abraham, then heirs. Romans 9, 7 through 13 says this. The Apostle Paul, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they called, are they all children. But, it is said, in Isaac shall they seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So therefore, it was not by descent. Both Esau and Isaac, both Esau and Jacob were of the seed of Abraham physically. Yet, only one of them was called by God's grace, God's purposes. Not by works, but by God's calling, God's grace. So it's not to which tribe we belong to. It's not to which people group we belong to or what nation we are raised in. The gospel is not the possession of any group of people except God's children only. John 1 verses 11 through 13, that great prologue to the gospel is said, he, Jesus, came unto his own, the Jews, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So being created, simply being a creature, does not warrant or give us the right to be heirs, nor does coming from a specific family or tribe or nation. No, it is all of grace. Nor can it come by some meritorious service that we do to God, i.e. by works or by keeping ceremonies or traditions. It's not written, if servants, then heirs, but if children, then heirs. Galatians 4, verses 30 and 31, Paul says this, Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Meaning, we are brought into relation with Christ. We are brought into salvation and eternal life 
through faith, by grace. By grace, through faith. Not by the keeping of some law, not by being part of the bondwoman. Children of the bondwoman, namely the law, is Paul's exposition there. But of the free, of the free. Nor can it be by ceremonial observances. It's not written if circumcised or baptized, then heirs. Romans 4, a couple pages over, Romans 4, verses 9 through 16 says this. The Apostle Paul says, Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised. That, the, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also, and the father of circumcision to them which are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath. For no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. That's a very, very, very important passage, especially as Reformed Christians who love to have our ducks in a row and know our doctrine and know that we are either Pado-Baptist or Baptist. Obviously, we're Baptist. That's right. That's the right answer. But being Baptist or Pado-Baptist is irrelevant to salvation. It is by faith. It is by faith. If we are children, then we are heirs. And we are made children through faith, by God's grace. And that's it. This is what unites. Do you not see? This is what unites. This is what will conquer the world, is the gospel. That faith in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, is the means to be reconciled to God. The only means. So, our being regenerated or born again unto God by his Holy Spirit, by grace, through faith, is our one ground of airship. That's it. Nothing else. Nothing else. Not belonging to the right church. Not doing the right things. Not coming from the right nation. No. Christ alone. So we should ask ourselves, have we been born again? Are we truly children? Recall what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3.3. 3, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We should ask ourselves also, do we have the spirit of adoption? Galatians 4, 6, Paul says, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Those who are heirs know they are heirs because they are children and they know it. Because they have the Holy Spirit within them bearing witness with their, with their spirit. It's not you sit down and check off what parts of the confession do you agree with? What church do you attend? What political party are you? These things can be great indicators on where you are spiritually, certainly. But they are not the end-all, be-all. Are they? No, it is Christ. It is Christ, the Holy Spirit, bearing witness with our spirit that we be his children. should ask ourselves also, are we recreated in the likeness of God? Colossians 3, 10 and 11, Paul says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. After what? After the image of him that created him, where there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. 
That is it. The gospel cannot be any more simple, yet we cannot make it any more complex every day. Let us ask ourselves also, have we believed on Jesus? Galatians 3.26, Paul says, For ye are all the children of God. Here's the next part. By faith in Christ Jesus. By faith in Christ Jesus. Second point, the universality of our, her- our heirship. He says, if children, then heirs. So what's the universality? First, physical age is irrelevant to this question. It's completely irrelevant how old you are. You are a child. The elder and the younger in the divine family are both heirs. Are both heirs. First John, remember when we went through First John? He addressed fathers, young men, children, but all as Christians. So age is irrelevant. Second aspect of the universality of our heirship is this, that the love of God is the same to us all as children of God. Romans 5, verses 5 through 8. Paul says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that same Christ died for all of his children. He died for all of us. The love is the same. There's not class. There's not society. There's not rank with God as children. We are all his children, and all have God's love given to them. We are all blessed under the same promise as well. Hebrews 6, we are told that we are heirs of the promise whereby God swore to us. That promise of the covenant of grace given to us, that Christ fulfilled it. Christ is the amen and the yes of the covenant of grace. For us. We are all equally related to that great firstborn son through whom our heirship comes from. Comes from Christ. He is son, therefore we are son. And we are are all equally sons to God through Christ. Remember in Romans 8.29, we are told that he, Christ, is the firstborn among many brethren. We partake in the Son of God as sons of God. Notice also this, that the inheritance which is given to us, dear church, is large enough for us all. There is no lack in God. All of his elect shall be brought in. All of his children shall be redeemed. And all of them will have a portion of that inheritance. There is no lack with God. He does not have to cut off how many can be saved because he's out of stuff. Because as we'll look in a minute, primarily what our inheritance is, is himself. And he is vast. He is limitless. Therefore, if we inherit him, there's plenty to go around. There is no lack. So, dear believer, though we are not all prophets, preachers, apostles, or even all well-instructed or strong believers. And though we are not all rich and influential, though we are not all strong and useful in the kingdom in the same manner, yet we are all heirs. I'm appointed by God to be up here to preach, but I am an heir in the same way you are an heir. We are all heirs. Let us then all live as such. Let us live as heirs. Not minding and getting caught up in the things of this world. And making them our treasure. Making them our hope. Trying to appease the world. The elementary principles of this world, Paul calls them. Rather, we need to be concerned with Christ and preaching his gospel. That is where unity comes from. 
That is where the conquering and subduing of the nations by the iron scepter of Jesus Christ comes from. So, as Christians, what should be our cry? More Jesus. More, more, more of thee, O Jesus. Our third point. The inheritance, which is the subject of our heirship. What is the inheritance? Well, it says this, that we are heirs of God. Of God, not of stuff. Not of golden driveways and heaven and angel pets or whatever charismatics go into. It's not stuff, it's God. It's not his, but him that is our inheritance. Our inheritance is divinely great. Not just great because it's given to us, but it's divinely great because it is divine. It is God himself. True, we are heirs of all things. Revelation 21, 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And 1 Corinthians 3, 21, we are told all things are ours in Christ as Christians. What does that mean? Namely, all things that are in God are, are, are ours. We are heirs of salvation. What is part of our inheritance? Salvation. Hebrews 1.14 says this. Are they not all ministering spirits, namely the angels he's speaking about, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So we are heirs of salvation. That's part of our inheritance. We are given salvation from our sins, forgiveness of sins, redeemed, purchased back, sins paid for. That's a great start, is it not? All of our debt wiped away. All of our sin and guilt before God absorbed and expiated and paid for in the blood of Christ. But not only this, we are heirs of eternal life also. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7 says this, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life so not only are we forgiven of our sins and our sins paid for and then we die and that's it no we are given eternal life that begins now and we will reign with christ for all of eternity in these perilous times what else can get us through and it's not just in the perilous times of course but it sure smacks you in the face does it not when things are wild When what we think, oh, it's always going to be the same. And it's not. You better have Christ, dear friend. And you better see him and taste him and and taste and know that he is good. You must have Christ. You are heirs of eternal life. And we are also heirs of covenant promise. Jeremiah 31. If you would turn there briefly. Jeremiah 31. Starting in verse 31. We are heirs of the covenant. In Jeremiah 31, starting verse 31, we read this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and I will write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, 
For they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Providentially, we fell on that reading from the London Baptist Confession of Faith, did we not? About the covenant, about the fulfillment, about how much better and greater it is to live as Christians now in this dispensation of the covenant of grace. That we can truly have it. We can know what eternal life is. We can know what Christ has done. Because we have the Holy Spirit given to us. We have the fulfillment of the covenant of grace given. We are heirs. And part of that inheritance is the grace of life given to us. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, them being wives, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So the grace of life, unity. Both husband and wife are called and commanded in a specific way how they are to interact with one another, how they are to serve one another and love one another. Why? What is the foundation? What is the basis? The grace of life, the inheritance, that they are heirs, that they are both sons of God, that they are co-heirs with Christ. So you see that if we have the gospel and we have it correct and doctrinally sound, then there can be unity. Then division melts away as a ghost and you no longer have to have it. We are heirs of righteousness also. All these other things that we just listed. Our sins are done away with. We're given eternal life. We're given covenant promise. We're given the grace of life. But I think greatest of all and what ties them all together is we are heirs of righteousness. And Christ's own righteousness at that. We would have none of these other blessings as heirs. None of these other Aspects of our inheritance would even be available to us without Christ's own righteousness that we inherit. Hebrews 11.7. It was said about Noah, By faith Noah, being warned of God of the things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and notice, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. We have that same righteousness by faith, namely this righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God hath made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is the glue that binds the whole together. Christ's righteousness. This is whereby we approach God and can triumphantly proclaim that we are his children. Because his son's righteousness, his only begotten son's righteousness, is upon us. That's the beauty of the Christian religion. This is what brings unity. This is what brings unity. So when we hear that we are heirs of God, it must mean a few things. That we are heirs of all that God possesses. Because that is what it means to be adopted, to be an heir. That when I die, my children will get all that I have. So too, as heirs, as inheritors, we are given all that God is, all that God possesses to us. Nothing is held back from us. As Paul says, if he has not given us, if he who has given us his son, shall he not also give us all things with him? That's why we can ask. And we have not because we ask not. Heirs also means that we are heirs of all that God is, of his love, for God is love. We're heirs of all possible good, for God is good. We're heirs of God himself, which is our infinite portion, dear believer. It's inexhaustible. Who has ever been given a great treasure? Or who has ever saved up and purchased something that you were hoping for and looking at and you couldn't wait to have it? Maybe a car, a home, whatever it may be. And when you finally get that thing, you go out and you look at it every once in a while. Or when you see it, man, this is cool to have. This is a great possession. This is a great inheritance. We've all done that. How much greater then the portion that we've been given? God, we should constantly go to admire him. 
to admire him constantly and continually, that we have God. All else fails in comparison to him. All of these earthly trinkets waste away in the light of the Son of Righteousness, whom is our possession. It's so simple, dear believer, but so difficult because we want to hold on to the flesh. We want to hold on to what we think is important, to what we are concerned about, when in reality, if we just let go, we'll be given in our hands, in our possession, God himself, and everything else will appear as nothing before him. A drop in the bucket are the nation's. We are heirs also of all that Jesus has and is as God and as man, namely his active and his passive obedience, that he actively obeyed that which God had given him to do, all the laws in our stead, and that he also then passively died on our behalf, doing away with the guilt and giving us righteousness. Fourth and last point, the partnership which we have as heirs tells us that we are joint heirs with Christ. So our partnership, we are heirs with Christ because Christ is also an heir of all that his father has given him. Now this is the true test of whether we are heirs or not. We are not heirs except if we are heirs with Christ, joint heirs, through Christ, in Christ. And this, this sweetens the whole lump that we not only have God, We not only have these great blessings of our inheritance, but what makes it truly sweet is that we have them through Christ and with Christ and in Christ. Christianity is nothing without Christ. Jesus is the name sweetest to us. It is the name that is above all names. What good would it be to get to heaven and not have Jesus? Heaven is not the goal. Christ is. Heaven is not the prize. Jesus is. It's as simple as that. Fellowship with Jesus is our best portion. And this shows us truly how great our inheritance is. That it was worthy of Jesus. That it's Jesus' inheritance. Such an inheritance as the Father gives to Jesus is ours. Could he give not his best to his only begotten son? Surely he did. He gave him the name that is above every name. He gave him glory and honor and power and dominion. And we too shall reign, not on our own, but with Christ. So what God has given, what God the Father has given God the Son is ours. And this ensures to us. This gives us great assurance. A stamp of approval. A promise. That if it is Christ's, and he has given it to us, and it is ours with Christ, then it is truly ours, and it is going nowhere. Jesus will not lose what he has been given. And if we have been given it in him, then it will not be lost. Our inheritance, namely eternal life, righteousness, grace, power, mercy, eternal life, those things are truly ours through Christ because Christ will not lose them. If the Father has given us the kingdom, we shall also have it in him. We inherit the kingdom of God. This reveals his love And it endears his love to us. What do I mean by that? That we, that he should become partner with us, reveals his great love to us. That he would become a joint heir with us, wicked, rebellious sinners. That he would demonstrate his own love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And he become joint heirs with us? Do not see his love then. What did God tell Abraham when Abraham was put to the test to put Isaac to death. When he was to put Isaac to death and he went to do it, then God told him, now I know that you love me. 
Because you were willing to give your only son. Now we know God loves us because he gave us his son. That is his proof. That is the proof of God's love to us. That Christ died for us. His taking us into union with himself then secures our inheritance. His prayer attains it for us. Remember in John 17, John 17, verse 20. Jesus says this, Neither pray I for these alone, meaning his disciples, who are right in front of him, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Here's their word, and we have believed upon it if we be Christian. Christ is praying for you there. For you and for me. Christ is praying. He intercedes for us. We have attained this inheritance. This union. Because he prayed for us then and he prays for us now, dear believer. He he went into heaven, as you recall, to prepare a place for us in John 14. Where are you going, Philip said, to prepare a place? That where I am, you may be also. We will be with him. And he has given us this assurance, dear believer. His coming again, when he shall return in the eschaton, will bring us the full enjoyment of it, if we are alive at that moment. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, Paul says, who is our life, shall appear... Then ye shall also appear with him in glory. This joint airship that we have with Christ binds us faster to him. Brings us closer to him. Since we are nothing in and of ourselves and have nothing apart from him. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth Much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. He is our all in all. This message, dear church, brings peace, brings unity. This message will destroy animosity. Not the bastardized version of this message coming out of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Al Mohler, Mark Dever, all those other... False teachers. They have now entered into the realm of false teacher. Langan Duncan. They want to compromise with the world. They want to compromise with Satan. But they preach another gospel. Not that there is another, Paul says. And they are to be anathematized, Paul says. This will bring union. This will bring unity. This will bring peace. This will bring the saints into the kingdom of heaven. What they are preaching, whatever it is, shall not. For it has no power to do so. So as believers then, therefore, dear congregation, let us joyfully accept the present sufferings, whatever they are. Any present sufferings we're going through, including what is now happening in our city. Let us endure them, accept them. With Christ, because he suffered for us. He can sympathize with us in our sufferings, having suffered at the hands of men himself. Because it is part of our heritage as Christians to suffer. Remember the verse, 817. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So there's the hope, there's the promise, there's the surety there for us. However, there is also the promise that we will suffer in this life. And all who wish to live godly in this present evil age shall suffer persecution in this life. So let us believe, dear church, in the glorification which is sure to follow in due time. Let us anticipate it. With immediate rejoicing now even. Soon and very soon. He shall make all things right. 
This is but temporary. Our present sufferings are not even worth to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Turn to Revelation 21. On this we shall close. What will give more power? What we have just heard and we shall now see in this passage? Or capitulation to the times? If you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, you shall know. Revelation 21 verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will, have him, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And in that we have union. The gospel. Let us be gospel-centered, Christ-adoring people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we once again come before thee. We thank thee, O Lord, for thy son, Jesus. Lord, give us greater adherence to the gospel, greater clinging to Christ, and have union with him, with each other in him, and bring in many, many more of thy elect through this gospel and our adherence to it. Give us perseverance, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.